0: All right. Uh, back again with another like COVID edition of the podcast. So we're doing it remote today. Uh, which is funny. Cause you and I met, I think the last time we hung out was, it was weird. It was right before this happened. Like literally like we, we were, it was like a Friday and by Monday, everything was kind of in lockdown, right? Starting to be yeah, shut down. Months. So we met to talk about doing this to get together for the show and all hell's broken loose since it's a totally different world. And now here we are sitting doing this yeah. over the internet. Um, but before I even get into anything, I wanted to ask. I mean, one one of the hats you wear is you're a police officer with Worcester Police Department. So you're yep. uh you you're, you're the first line out there. So what what's different now with the people being home and I mean, I know you're on SWAT too, so you have a sort of action packed job. I, I gotta assume that's changed a lot. Probably for the good, but like what's happening out there on the front lines? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm in my house. I've been here for like a month. I see nothing, you know, the only place I go is the woods with my kids. So like, what's, what's it like out there?
1: Um, so on our end, we're in, um, emergency operations. So we go to different calls than operations where calls for service, which that you know, typical people call the police. They come home from work. They found the house broken into, um, there's pretty much no more of that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because everyone's at home, (laughs) right? But, um, yeah, the calls for service have gone down a little bit. There's, you know, a lot less activity, a lot more police, um, are trying not to be as proactive just to keep that social distancing away. Yeah. And a lot of the calls are more or less over the phone Mm -hmm. for report calls or they'll, you know, go to the house, have someone meet them outside to take the report. As opposed to going into the apartment, yeah, and, you know, possibly getting sick,
0: right? Just drive by if you can. Make sure nothing's yeah. going <laughs> going to hell and drive. I keep going,
1: so it's slower. Yeah, it's, it seems a lot slower now.
0: It seems like you, you hear all these reports of you know foxes running down a bridge in New York and and deer walking yeah. through the streets, and the skies are cleaner. And uh, I mean, all that's good, but it seems it, it's got to feel weird like if you're still out there in the city. And the city probably doesn't feel like itself, right? Because Worcester's always full of traffic and people everywhere, and it's a- yeah, I know.
1: I was, um, you know, driving around the city now, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, midday. There's, you know, nobody really out on the roads. Like you get through city through the city in minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's nice and easy, like a like it was a hundred years ago. It's weird yeah. too, because I mean, for the most part, nobody's out there. But sometimes when you go out, we'll go out and go for a hike or walk the dogs and we'll pass by like a skate park with 15 kids skating together yeah. and like what are you what are you guys doing like did you not do did you, you didn't get the memo and and yeah. what's with your parents why are you here why are you allowed to be here i it just lets me think like on the other side of the fence what you guys must be dealing with because you can't stop the stupid and there's still there's still people out there that just aren't going to pay attention or you know i don't know it's it seems like a, a Tough position to be in as a police officer or a firefighter, anyone that has to go to the place they're called. When yeah. sometimes, sometimes those calls don't have to be made, but someone's making a dumb choice.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I <laughs> That's got to happen often. <laughs> So
0: uh, let me back up here. My guest today is JD, uh, John Dage. He's the founder of A Thin Blue Ride, which is a nonprofit that helps vets and first responders that are going through cancer treatments by supplying some money or funds, or we'll get into any of that down the road. But basically, to try and help them just concentrate on their fight and getting better and with the healing, right? That's where it came, that's where it ended up being now, where you raise funds to help them and their family maintain some kind of normalcy while they get through the fight. You're also an army vet, did two tours in Iraq. We mentioned you're on the police department in Worcester on the SWAT team. Uh, You're a mountain biker. You're into jujitsu. There's a whole lot of things that we're going to have to talk about. You're you're a rock climber. You just did Everest. I mean, we're going to have to talk about a lot of of different shit here as we go through. But I I do want to just kind of get out of the way for a few minutes and let you tell your story and start on how – how thin blue ride came to be uh you know basically with your own health and how that came to be and i i you told me the story before, and I just want to kind of shut up and listen to it evolve yeah, it's no amazing.
1: um so twenty thirteen I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, and I went to um St Vincent's in Worcester. It was uh, outpatient surgery um you know, kind of a shock, I thought I had a hernia because I was lifting weights. I figured it was that because I had a hernia before when I was coming back from Iraq in '03, mm-hmm. so I I knew the the pain was similar, and I just kind of pushed it off like yeah it's probably a hernia but you know it really hurts so mm-hmm. I should probably get this checked out. Um, probably a week or two of like a lot of pain, yeah. especially wearing the gun belt at work. It it seemed to make it a lot worse. And
0: how old are you at the time?
1: Uh, I was 29. 29. Okay. So then ended up going to the ER, they did an ultrasound, doctor came in and was like, yep, you have a growth, uh, come back next week. So I'm thinking to myself, like, wait, growth, you mean like tumor? He's like, yes. Yeah, you have uh, most likely testicular cancer, so we'll have to remove that and then go from there. Was it was it that, like, matter of fact? Yeah, he you know, some doctors don't really have great bedside manner, but... Uh, <laughs> That's pretty much how it was. So Probably I, the I was single shocked.
0: scariest moment of your life. And it's like, yeah, yeah see, see you next week, buddy.
1: Yeah, they're like, yeah, we're going to take your right testicle. And and I'm like, well, um, can I get a fake one? They're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was on the plan. <laughs> you don't really go to the doctors thinking they're going to cut something off you. No. So, um, yeah, so a couple days later, I went for the outpatient surgery. You know, lasted like three hours or so. Went home, recovered. Uh, I waited, it was probably a few, like two months or so before I went back to work, worked at the desk for a little bit
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I had some, you know, restrictions, obviously yeah, post surgery. And then I opted to have a lymph node dissection, which was pretty invasive. I had some... When lymph you say lymph- opted,
0: that was something they say, like, you could do this if you want to, yeah. like, what's the choice that you're given?
1: So I had a mixed germ cell, non-seminoma tumor for the testicular cancer Mm -hmm. and the lymph nodes were kind of near my kidneys. So some of the polyps were swelled up a certain amount of centimeters. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, it's in between. You could either have surgery, which is pretty invasive. You know, you'll be out of work for like six months. Your diet will change Ouch. or you can keep on living and, this could grow to be a teratoma, which is basically like um, pretty disgusting. It could could just be a growth that, you know, there's kind of undetected. It could grow to be the size of a baseball or a football, you know, inside your body pushing organs around. So I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to have the invasive surgery. Yeah. So I had that. I was out of work. It was probably about six months before I got back and then I was, you know, quote-unquote, cancer-free. Mm-hmm. After that, I was doing a lot of running to get ready. Um, it was around March, so I was getting ready for the SWAT tryouts in the spring. And, you know, I've always been in the military. I've always been physically fit, playing football in high school. Like, I knew my body. yeah. And I knew something was up. I was coughing up blood, like, maybe once or twice a day. And Ooh. I just with that to like, uh, you know, it's dry out. Maybe I had a bloody nose last (laughs) night when I was sleeping. I'm like, you know, whatever. Trying to not really think of the worst. Yeah. Trying to put it out of your mind. Yeah. So then I ended up getting scans again. Uh, well I had to, you know, I went back to the doctors, told them I was coughing up blood. Then they did scans and they found six tumors in my chest and lungs. So I had, you know, It was the mixed germ cell, non-seminoma tumor, so it wasn't um, lung cancer. It was still the testicular cancer that spread, Mm. similar to Lance Armstrong's case where it spread throughout his body. So I had that. Um, I was dropping weight, which I'll drop weight if I run a lot, Yeah, but during that time period, I took a week off and I still continued to drop weight, Mm. and that to me was a big red flag because, you know, I usually eat pretty well. And unless my diet's going to drastically change and I'm working out a ton, you know, I shouldn't be dropping weight. Right. That was something that, um, got me nervous a little bit. So they found the six tumors. This was in Worcester. I ended up getting a second opinion going to Boston to Dana-Farber. And that's where I met Dr. Chris Sweeney. And he's still my oncologist today. Awesome guy. Um, I went to get a second opinion and he actually wouldn't let me leave the hospital because I didn't know how bad it was
2: hmm.
1: because it was a reoccurrence of the original cancer. Yeah. They didn't consider it a stage, but he said, it you know, if it was the initial findings of the cancer, it would have been stage four. Oh
2: wow. That's so scary. I ended
1: up, yeah. So I showed up for a second opinion and then I ended up staying the night and I started chemo. So I was hooked up to chemo eight hours a day, five days a week. And then I would go home for two weeks. Then I would go back wow. hooked up for eight hours a day, five days a week. So I did that for so, five months.
0: So when you go home, you're just kind of healing until the next, the next session yeah. of the treatment. Cause I mean, it, it takes a lot out of you, right? It's hard.
1: I think the biggest thing is the mental aspect of it. Like I ended up when I had one of my IVs and um, it was, I think it, didn't get in the vein properly and well it didn't you know it wasn't noticeable like they they did they do the IVs they pump you up with anti nausea stuff they give you IV fluids it's not just like straight chemo it's yeah. you know eight to ten different bags of stuff with like two or three bags of chemo mixed in between so I thought you know chemo was gonna hurt the whole time mm-hmm. where I ended up there was something with the IV was messed up so I ended up getting a minor scar or burn on my arm because I'm like, Oh, I thought it was supposed to do that. They're like, no, it shouldn't feel a thing. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, and then of course you're, you're laying down for five days in the hospital. You can't really get up and move around. So I was actually lucky. I spoke with somebody in Dana Farber and they, had, they mentioned I could bring a, a stationary bicycle in the room. Oh, nice. So the hospital had those. And I wasn't into biking at all. And I was just like, you know, I I, need, I want to keep busy, keep your mind busy, keep your legs moving a little bit. So I had the stationary bike brought in the room and I'd go on that here and there. I would be out Sunday night. Monday morning would feel like, you know, one of your worst hangovers. Tuesday would feel, you know, from the chemo. Yeah. They would feel... Similar, you know, I'd pretty much watch Netflix all day and hang out. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd usually feel better, but your body still feels off. Like you have, like I always had a metallic taste in my mouth and I had the hiccups and heartburn. Yeah, you're, Which, you're, you're, you're you still know, healing.
0: You're not, even, you're not even back to
1: normal. Yeah, and then I would do, you know, I'd still go to the gym. I'd still, like, wakeboard a little bit. Obviously, I'd still take it easy but yeah.
0: that's got to help mentally though right to go do things even yeah. if you can't even if you can only do half or a quarter of what you'd normally do I, I, am I crazy or like when you're when you're in the hospital for the five days is is part of the hardest thing just being alone in your head while you're while you're getting treatment like it seems like boredom's the wrong word but like fear and just letting your thoughts run wild and like how do you occupy that time when you're when you're stuck there
1: yeah um i was i was pretty lucky to have a lot of visitors because on the police department guys work overnights guys work different shifts mm. uh, my family and friends outside of work would show up you know in the afternoons and in the evenings and then or you know during the day they'd show up because they worked an overnight yeah and then you know my parents would nice. show up and family would show up during the day and like my my friends had a blast. They got me Nerf guns, brought in an Xbox. Like, you know, we had as much fun as we could. And I was lucky to have with the chemo treatments I had, I had to have my own room. Mm. So we kind of had it on lockdown, which was pretty good. Like we didn't have to worry about bothering anybody.
0: That's nice. Um, That's a good way to look at it too, is having a sort of a lucky break in this unlucky time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I still felt decent through the chemo. It, you know, it keeps you get chemo brain. Like I remember laying in bed one night and I'm like, Oh, I should probably change my light bulbs to energy efficient. And then I'm thinking about everything. And I'm like, (laughs) I got up, I went to home Depot. I spent $300 on light bulbs for my house. And (laughs) it sucks. Like you can't, like, you just can't explain it, but it's, uh, your mind gets going. It's tough to sleep at night. You know, some days are better than others, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but you know, every every two weeks I had off would be a little different. Uh-huh. Typical Monday, Tuesdays were the worst, but I would still, like I showed you the home gym that I built. I built that when I was going through chemo because I <laughs> ended up building uh CrossFit Worcester's gym, like towards the end of my treatments. Mm-hmm. So I was out of, I was out of work and I ended up like, I grew up doing metal fabrication. So I was like, I need to keep busy and, Yeah, you know, Cutting and welding steel wasn't too bad. So. <laughs> it's a good so, way to keep
0: busy. I've used some of that gear that, that you got made. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I mean, throughout that, and that pushed me through from March to, I think around July was my last treatment. Then... I, the, so the tumor shrunk in my chest and lungs. Then I had scar tissue that was left over from that. So I had to have a right lung resection. Mm-hmm. So they... Pretty much, like have a—it looks like a shark bite on my back, kind of. It's—they uh, cut my lat, had to break a rib, took the top and bottom portion of my lungs mm-hmm. out, and—and and then what? Glue, there, your,
0: glue your rib back in place and put you back together.
1: Funny, I was—I was looking at the X-ray pictures and I was looking at the you know the small part of my lung. There's a few pictures I have on the Thin Blue Rides Instagram of it. And I was looking at it like a few weeks later, and that surgery was like hard recovery. Yeah, <laughs> I bet it was. I mean, Jesus. So, so I was looking at the picture, and I'm I'm looking at my ribs, and usually the ribs line up, and I look at it, and one is stacked on the other one, and I'm like, hmm. Did they break my rib? Wow. I is that why it hurt so bad? So I called the surgeon. And I'm like, did you guys break my rib? They go, yeah, we had to break your rib to take the lung out. And I'm like, initially my my fear throughout the whole thing was, you know, we might have to take your whole lung. Yeah. And knowing I had to have a left lung surgery, I'm like, well, I'm going to have less than, I might not have a right lung.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I still need surgery on my left lung. So I would have, you know, not even half a lung to work with. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, scary. Especially, that especially too,
0: where you that, want to go back to living in your life. You've yeah. been an active guy. You're into sports, all, all kinds of different sports too. So, yeah. and, and my, that sounds silly to some people, but it means a lot to people that are active, you know, to, yeah. to be able to continue to do the things that drive you. So I, I, I imagine that was part of the, one of the scariest parts was not being able to go back to just living. Right.
1: Yeah. So my thing was, you know, the doctor was, he dealt with people with COPD and a lot of, it was more like. Elderly patients with lung issues.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm a, you know, 30 year old guy. I'm like, hey, what, what's my two mile gonna be if you take <laughs> my lung out? Yeah. He's like, I work with 85 year olds. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I'm not gonna and doctors are never gonna say anything anyways, because they don't wanna step on their toes. No. But um so the the doctor was great. He he actually reconstructed a blood vessel to save my lung. So the surgery was supposed to last about three or four hours. It ended up being closer to six to seven hours Wow! and he came in post-surgery. He was all excited and I was still kind of out of it, obviously. Yeah. And he's, you know, I was FaceTiming another doctor and I was talking to so-and-so and and we reconstructed this blood vessel to save your lung. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And I remember him asking like, you know, how do you feel? I'm like, well, my arm hurts (laughs) because (laughs) I was laying on my side the whole time. (laughs) And then the drug started to wear off. So And you know, that, that lung surgery went great. Um, two weeks later I ended up going back for a post-surgery checkup
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and that's when, um, scans were, uh, the blood work was a little off and that blood work was always a marker. My tumor markers. It's so basically you get a blood draw Mm -hmm. and there's three markers that they check. And for me, every time when it was in my lungs, um, and ahead of that, my alpha feta proteins were always elevated every time I had something going on with me. So my alpha feta proteins were elevated, and I got home from the, like, the post-surgery checkup. They're like, all right, you're good. Mm-hmm. They called, and they go, uh, yeah, your proteins are up, your CAT scans came back, and you have a brain tumor. Oh, God. So I'm like, okay, so what, what do
0: we do? How, before we get, before we go into this next phase, how are you feeling at that point? Like before you, before you find out about the brain tumor, how, how are you, are you, is there time in between each of these treatments that you're starting to feel like yourself again? Are you, is your lung okay? Like how, like how
1: much. Like that was too, that was too close to the surgery. So it was still like in a lot of pain from laying down to getting up.
0: Okay. So it's close. Um, it's, there's not a lot of time passing by.
1: No, but it was, you know, it was enough time after chemo where I felt good. And the good thing about surgery is you show up, they knock you out, you wake up and it's over.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or you don't wake up and it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like you, you just got to accept it. Like what's the other option is to live with this tumor or. Which you know, means say, not
0: living. I mean, you yeah, can't you exactly. can't just live with the tumor.
1: So, you know, for me, it was, I kept getting bad news on bad news. And it, it's just like, well, there was always a light at the end of the tunnel as far as. All right, you have tumors in your lungs. Okay, what's the plan? We're gonna have uh, chemo, shrink your tumors, and take the you know have surgery after that, mm-hmm. and then get healed up. Okay, take the lungs, take the uh, portion of the lung out. Mm-hmm. That gets better. Okay, what's next? Oh, uh, well, you get a brain tumor. So the plan was, I had brain surgery, then I had brain radiation for several. Several weeks, which was the easiest. They pretty much you lay down in your stomach. and make a um, imprint of your face. They pretty much bolt your head to the table Whoa. for like forty-five minutes, and I would just like usually pass out. So you and, can't you uh, can't move your head. Yeah, you can't move, and just it was localized just to make sure they get all the cells.
0: Yeah. What if you're a person that freaks out from that kind of stuff? So they sedate you.
1: They might. Um, I mean my experience with radiation was great because it wasn't affected. I know somebody who had it on the throat and they couldn't taste food Mm. or if you get radiation near the stomach, you might have, you know, GI issues or Mm -hmm. whatever, but you know, the brain is not much up there. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, so then I had the brain surgery, the brain radiation, then I was, you know, back to getting the left lung resection. So I had the top 10% of my left lung removed and that was a uh, scope surgery. So it wasn't as painful. And in between then, I think after the radiation, I went back to work for a couple weeks. I saw the city doctor and I asked him like, can I go back to work? And he's kind of like, well, <laughs> if you want to, you can mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I might as well go back. And because being out for so long, you just, you know, you kind of miss it. You want to, your head you're disconnected to too, right? Yeah. And you know, you don't want to miss, you know, policing is always, it's kind of like a fluid profession. Stuff's always changing. Mm-hmm. Um, plus you want to keep busy, you know, you always get to keep your head busy. So I went back to work then went for the lung resection. Then, you know, maybe a month or two went by, went back for scans and scans came back for a second brain tumor. Oh, come on. Which was still, so it was still the same mixed germ cell, non-seminoma tumor, still the testicular cancer to spread. So with both brain tumors, they were actually kind of resting on the brain. They weren't embedded mm-hmm. as bad. So they pretty, you know, um, cut the skin back. Pretty much, like, <laughs> tremble the skull out, pull you got, that out. You got
0: the lucky type of brain tumor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you can <could> say that.
1: <laughs> so like, the back left and the back right part of the brain. Um, and then, you know, the surgery, the recovery for that was great because there's no muscle
2: hmm.
1: on your brain. Like, when I had the lymph node dissection, they, they had to cut me from my waist to my sternum, and they pretty much disembowel you and then perform the surgery, resection. Yeah put everything back in and yeah. that recovery was so painful because of the muscles. Same with the lungs, but with the brain, it's, you know, skin and bone.
0: Yeah. So
1: it wasn't too bad. And of course, because it's brain surgery, they want you, you know, they want you monitored for like five days after that. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, it's a big you know,
1: deal. Yeah. <laughs> family. <laughs> uh, the surgery was Friday. I was home on Sunday, but you know, then it was monitor and, uh-huh still taking like the new last of shots and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, so I had within a three year time period, I had the testicular cancer, um, the testicular surgery, lymph node dissection surgery, two rounds of chemo, two rounds. I had uh, chemo a second time after the brain surgery, but as outpatient. So I had two rounds of chemo, two rounds of radiation, two brain surgeries, two lung resections. And uh, two two other surgeries, so I had like ten procedures in three years.
0: It's uh, how? I mean, obviously, it can't all be positive. But how do you stay positive going through? I mean, that's like that's like a a shit deal, right? So yeah, like two and a half years in, how are you? What's your mental state like? What do you What do you
1: and how do you cope? To- I mean, the good thing was. Being around family and friends, obviously, because, you know, you'd go to the movies, you'd go out on the boat, you'd go, you know, you keep busy. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't imagine dealing with it, you know, I'll say if a couple of years ago, I decided to move somewhere and that was all I had, like, yeah. that probably would have been a lot more difficult. Um, I think just from my mindset, kind of started early, like 20 years old, being in Iraq, mm-hmm. we did transportation missions and gun truck missions, but there, it was always, you know, somebody always had it worse than you did. Like, yeah, we, we had a Humvee with no doors, um, driving all over the country, which is pretty cool. But then it, you hear that there's guys in Baghdad doing like hand to hand combat and mm-hmm. like, all right, well, it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it puts stuff in, per, in perspective on, What to worry about? This, you know, there's things you can control, things you can't control. Sure. Everything on mine was there was always a light at the end of the tunnel. As far as okay, you have testicular cancer, this is what we're going to do. All right, you have a brain tumor, this is what we're going to do. Like there was no terminal diagnosis where they're like, yeah, you, you know, you have cancer and that's it. you keep you going for as long as possible. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the mindsets. Like my thing is always somebody else has it worse than you do.
0: That says a lot about you. I think it says a lot about your, your mindset, the ability to just think, well, it could be worse or, you know, we'll just follow the plan and get through it. And to do that, to do it for three years, you know, multiple times where it's kind of like getting kicked off that proverbial horse and you just got to get back on and, and keep going. And having that, having that, the mental fortitude to, to do that, that's I don't think it's all that common. I think it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. And that probably speaks to how you uh, did two deployments at war and how you're a member of a SWAT team and you do a bunch of difficult things like rock climbing. And you did all that sort of stuff beforehand too, or at least, you know, the general line of interest with the sports and the things. Do you think some of that mentality is is was helpful? The competitive yeah. mindset, the, 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 the keep going mindset?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the better things is... Um kind of 1540 is another nonprofit and they focus a lot on knowing your body and being your own advocate. And I think it helped, you know, growing up playing sports, getting hurt, you know, you know what, you know what it's like, you know, when you do jujitsu and you tweak your elbow a little bit, like you know, it's going to get better. You got to let it heal up. But with that, that's kind of like when I had the pain in my groin and I'm like, Oh, it's, you know, it's, probably a hernia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, you know, your body, it's not getting better. Right. So their thing is, you know, mark a calendar on your phone two weeks ahead of time. And if it doesn't get better, you know, note what your symptoms are, because there's been a lot of people that have cancer symptoms and it's, you know, more than just a lump mm-hmm. or, you know, I had a mild cold kind of before I had my diagnosis. So I, my, blood cell count was probably way off. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my buddies could actually did two deployments to Iraq with him. He had liver cancer, which he passed away, but his shoulder hurt. Mm. So it's like, you know, the the body, your body's always telling you something. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, it helps being active all the time and knowing your body like, all right, well, this isn't just a pulled muscle or this isn't, You know, I didn't just tweak something and then it gets you into getting treatment because the best, the best treatment is getting treatment early as opposed to later.
0: Mm -hmm. Sooner the better. Right. And then there's no, there's there's no sides to that rule. It's always better to go early.
1: I mean, if I was in Iraq when I was coughing up blood, I probably wouldn't have said anything. And you know what I mean? Like it's, (laughs) I probably would have pushed on like, yeah, whatever. It'll get better.
0: Yeah yeah it's, people have it worse, right? so why, yeah. why am I going to yeah. complain <laughs> so o- over over the three years, do you do you meet a lot of other people going through it? do you do you meet new friends? do you Is there a community that sort of comes around to help each other? I know that you've you've met people with other organizations and there's been yep. sort of um activities and and groups that you've be, you've become a part of or got to know people through How, how did all that come to be? Cause that kind of leads into where we're going with the thin blue ride. Right.
1: Yeah. So when I was going through it, I remember Dana Farber's pretty good about putting out, um, I forget what they, they call it. It's like young cancer. It's, you know, people going through cancer at a young age
2: uh-huh.
1: and they kind of have forums or meetups um, with those people. And usually it's at Dana Farber in Boston uh-huh. or Brigham and women's. And I think it like during the time, it seems harder when you're going through all of that. Like you feel like crap. Yeah. You don't really want to do too much as far as, you know, drive to Boston and meet up with a bunch of people that are sick and you're feeling like crap type thing. Yeah. So I noticed it after because it, you know, I was just getting more involved with. What you know? What's out there? And I remember seeing something on Facebook with First Descent, which is another nonprofit that Brad Luden started. He's like a pro kayaker. Um, <laughs> sorry, my dog's barking. Don't worry
0: about it. My oh. I got a wolf wolfhound sitting over by the door. She'll she'll eventually <laughs> bark too.
1: So uh, yeah, so First Descent is a is a nonprofit that gets people kayaking. Whitewater rafting, ice climbing, surfing, and basically they take people. I think it's under the age of forty, mm-hmm. but people who are diagnosed or in remission, and it's about fifteen people from the U.S. I'll take them outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they take people about fifteen to twenty people. And they have several staff members They have two personal chefs. They have a medic a lead staff and someone who like a photographer
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they have donors support this. So for my trip, um, we ended up going ice climbing in Uray, Colorado. And it was basically, it's kind of like group therapy, but it's not, you know, it's not really forced upon it's, uh-huh. it's kind of like being a veteran where, you know, you, you go to a party, someone's like, oh, this guy's a, a vet. And then you start talking to him, you mm-hmm. have that common, you know, you have that thing in common definitely, that you really can't explain and other people don't get it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So with cancer, it's kind of like the same thing. You know, we met people from all over the country and right off the bat, we're talking like we've known each other for years. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I had testicular cancer. And then, um, you know, the girls are talking about breast cancer diagnosis and, Other guys are talking about other surgeries. So we're all just like, oh, my surgery was this. And we're all, we're in a hot springs in Colorado. Like everyone's showing their scars and people are around us. Like, (laughs) just like, what are these guys talking to? These guys are messed up.
0: Yeah. But it's like finally being in a group of people where everyone knows what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And I think that was a huge part of, um, kind of like the, the healing process of it, knowing that other people have gone through it. What seems and- really
0: cool about the the first ascent too is, um, maybe I'm wrong, but doing kayaking and climbing and all this stuff that you got to do, most people don't do that stuff, right? It's a yeah. it's an extreme. They're all extreme sports, or they're they're high risk or fun. I mean, there's yeah. stuff that are awesome, but I'm assuming most of the group they weren't avid kayakers or ice climbers beforehand. So yeah. it's kind of like you, you fought cancer. And this is what it seems like to me from the outside, which I think is really cool. It seems like you fight cancer, and then there's this group that helps you realize, you know, life's not over. It's not just healing from here on in. You know, you had yeah. cancer. You're here today because you're in remission or you fought that cancer. And now you're going to get back to life or even better, you know, kick-starting it by doing some yeah. new stuff, taking on these new challenges. And that, like, I can see where something like that would be helpful to me, where it would be, you know, if yeah. you, after you go through it to just – sort of kick the doors open instead of crawling slowly back into things would, would be really helpful. It'd be, it'd be awesome. And is that what it was like? They weren't all extreme athletes, right?
1: No, I mean, every, like we'd have, um, they call it like campfire. Everybody just like, it's so laid back. So, you know, everyone, you'd go out all day, you'd pack your lunch, you'd ice climb. And for me, I picked ice climbing because it was something I wasn't, I don't know. I didn't really see myself doing any ice climbing. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I think I'll try it with this. You know, I like it. Cause I've been rock climbing, I've been surfing, I've been whitewater rafting. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll try something different. Mm -hmm. And for me, it wasn't, you know, out of my realm of doing something crazy. It was just, I wanted to try something different plus the aspect of meeting everybody and, you know, everyone getting their stories out.
2: Yeah.
1: And a lot of people during that you know, end of the day, everyone would be so surprised that, you know, I didn't think I'd make it. ice climbing up this ridge and I made it and it was because of so-and-so and so-and-so that helped me out today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, it actually made people a lot more tight knit. Like from my thoughts going into it, yep. I thought it was going to be more of a individual thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: where into the first day, you know, where I, this, girl who was going through treatment, she was actually she was an oncologist and she had trouble walking. Mm. So we're literally like carrying her down trails to get down the ravine so she could ice climb. Wow. And it would probably take, you know, maybe like a hundred foot pitch or whatever. And she climbs up it, snails pace, Mm -hmm. refused to quit. Yep. You know what I mean? We're like, hey, you know, you want to take a break? Because like I get exhausted. I just Muscle up and get right back down, and she's up literally up there for like forty-five minutes. Yeah, she's working, and she's just like, "No, nope, I'll make it. I'll make it." And then you know, makes it to the top, and I'm like, "God damn, like, <laughs> like that's awesome." Man. Yeah, that's awesome to see. Like she's get a hard time walking, but she's gonna climb an ice wall. Well, she's not quitting. Yeah, Obviously, exactly. it's
0: hard, but she's she's still going. I love seeing that in people. You know, the people who yeah. go go further than you're and supposed those, to be able to.
1: She was going through like I was in remission probably at least two years, I think. Yeah, two or three years. And a lot of people going through that were still going through treatment. Mm -hmm. Like one of my roommates um, on that trip, like I could smell like the chemo. Wow. Like it made me kind of nauseous because I remember that smell. Yeah. Sometimes like the hand soap in the hospital, that reminds me of – you know, chemo, so I get like sick to my stomach. I'm like, that's wow. awful. <laughs> But uh but no, it was a great, you know, eye opening group and everyone still stays in touch. And another group I found out about through I think it was through Instagram, the Send It Foundation, which is another nonprofit. Those guys do a lot of uh skiing, they do mountain biking. And any sport I- where you'd say send it. Yeah, pretty much. So anyways, the the brother ended up having cancer Mm -hmm. and he would send it, you know, quote unquote, send it like Mm -hmm. you could send it from jumping off a cliff or his send it was like, you know, I'm going to get out of bed today. Yep. Or I'm going to go on a bike ride today or, you know, do something. So he ended up passing away mid thirties and the sisters ended up putting together the nonprofit and now they get groups of people to go. We went skiing out in um, Squaw Valley this year Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, it was awesome. It was kind of like the same thing. Like everyone just shoots the shit and goes through like, you know, it's like when, you know, someone's going through cancer and people are like, Hey, how do you feel? It's, (laughs) It's like coming back from Iraq and people being like, Hey, how was Iraq? Like, oh, it sucked. The palm trees were nice. You know, but again, people don't know what to say.
0: Yeah, how do you know what to say? It's it's one of those social things where it's, I get from the perspective from the person that was in Iraq or going through cancer, like, it's an annoying question. But at the same time, like, at least you know that person cares
1: enough to inquire, you know, because what? Yeah. I don't don't know what to
0: say. I don't know what I would be supposed to say.
1: I find myself kind of like, because I've, spoken with a lot of people in the past five, six years I've fielded a lot of phone calls or emails or, Hey, my aunt's sick. Hey, my dad's sick. The first thing I do is tell them, you know, go to Boston cause that's the best treatment. Mm-hmm. And because I've had so many surgeries, a lot of people have kind of asked like, Hey, you know, what should I do? Or what's this like? What's this like? Um, so you know, on top of having Tim Blue Ride, the nonprofit, I've either reached out to people or left it out there if somebody has questions to get a hold of me because it might help them. Yeah. With the either going through it or if their, you know, spouse is going through it, that's probably one of the harder things as well.
0: Yeah, I imagine it is.
1: The you know, to be the loved one of someone going through it, you don't there's nothing you can do really except be there right it's probably one of the most careful things
0: it's that's terrifying as well because you're just you're sort of powerless all you can do is be there which doesn't feel very helpful yeah but like like you said though in your case the people being there is what was helpful that's what makes you go through but you know as the person at the other side i wouldn't you feel helpless i mean it would feel yeah it would be terrible
1: yeah because it's you know something you have no control over no
0: no nobody does there's just some people that can try and help yeah. But, but nobody has control. It's, it's you know, it's there's some luck and there's some science. Yeah. So then but, um, let's go, let's talk a little bit about the Thin Blue Ride and how that comes to be. So where did the idea
1: from that come from? So it's, I was at one of my visits with Dr. Sweeney and he mentioned the Pan Mass Challenge, which is... Does he ride it? Yeah, he rides it. Nice. So... He told me, you know, it's a 200 mile bike ride from Springfield all the way to to Provincetown. Um, Two days, you know, it's, you pretty much ride 20 some odd miles, get a rest stop. And Mm -hmm. usually they have like a DJ or live music. They have, you know, peanut butter and fluff sandwiches, power bars, energy bars, Gatorade, all that stuff. So it's like you ride for an hour take a quick break, get on the bike, keep riding, take a break. So, you know, everyone goes at their own pace and it's a blast. There's, you know, five or 6,000 riders and the people that are along the route, usually it's close to the same route every year. Mm -hmm. And it's been going on for, you know, over 30 years. So people are out there in their robes in the morning. They people set up, you know, I forget what the spot is. It's this, this one spot kind of the halfway point it's this one back road in the middle of nowhere they have i think last year they had like a reggae band they had a high school band wow balloons over the road you know you're and taking pictures like it is so much fun so dr sweeney told me about the ride and i was that's when i got my road bike and i started cycling because i wanted you know my lungs to get better
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um you know just for <laughs> healing anyways so I started road biking and fell in love with it. So I was like, yeah, I'll sign up for, you know, a 200 mile bike ride. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Why not? And you have to raise at the time I, I signed up. It was, um, over five years ago, it was like $4,500 a rider. It's a lot of money. Yeah. So he rides for team Shamit, and they have a huge team. They're one of the big sponsors, but as much as I love Dr. Sweeney, I'm like, I kind of want to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my one year cancer-free was actually the Pan Mass weekend. So, That's timely, huh? Yeah. So, you know, I thought of a team name. I signed up myself. I sent, And then um, one of my bosses, I talked to Mike. I'm like, hey, I'm going to do the ride. He goes, all right, I think I'll do one day. I'm like, all right, well, I'm doing two days. And then I talked to my buddy, Eric, who didn't even have a bike, kid I grew up with. He was in the Marines. We are over in Iraq at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm going to r- ride. He's like, all right, I'm going to ride too. I'm like, all right, you need to get a bike. <laughs> so then we came up with a team, and I came up with the name Thin Blue Ride because, you know, Thin Blue Line for Cops and yep. Ride because on bikes. Mm-hmm. So um, we ended up getting a team together. Then we had another police officer, Ange, sign up with us. So, you know, we raised, I think, 30. Like around thirty-two to thirty-five thousand
0: dollars. Wow! Wow! And I, I, I was, was, when you said forty-five hundred, I was like, "That's a lot of money yeah. to raise."
1: Yeah, we were nervous at first, but what I didn't know is while I was going through all my cancer bullshit, was how crazy my story was. I thought it was kind of normal,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then when I wrote to Pan Mass saying, "You know, why are you writing?" and I write this three-page-long uh, testicular cancer and blah 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 and I had two brain surgeries, two lung surgeries. Then they had, um, I think it was WBZ, came to the house and they did like a three-minute video where Lisa Hughes, you know, on the Boston Channel, channel yep. posted that. And they had that on the news. Then they had that at the opening ceremony for no the way. Pan Mass Challenge. Oh, wow. So... So being a first-year rider and then watching yourself like on the big screen of all these cancer survivors and everything, it was pretty amazing to uh, (laughs) – pretty good first year to ride. Yeah, I bet. Does
0: the team evolve every year? Is it one set team that you have? Does different people come on and off the team? um,
1: We've had a few injuries. So like, you know, some people ride. It's pretty much the same. My buddy, uh, Joe Quinn, now he's on our – So we're going to ride this year, me and Joe, and then there might be a few others that didn't get the ride uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. We skipped last year because now the the minimum to raise was, you know, over, I think it was 5,000 a person. And, you know, we don't get corporate sponsors that, that just, you know, match what you make. Like everything we make is off of a general donation or or selling hats and and whatnot so you know we really have to push it's a lot of to money to make that money yeah, it's a lot of yeah money. so after one year we had a lot of riders we had to raise forty thousand dollars and that was because of so many riders mm-hmm. and after that year we you know we we make t-shirts every spring usually we sell i don't know maybe 500 of them mm-hmm. and, and give or take along with us stuff. And we have a golf tournament. Um, usually we do pretty well, but then after giving $40,000 to Dana Farber for cancer research, it's, it doesn't leave thin blue ride any money to help families in need. Right. So, so actually after three years of doing the pan mass of of team thin blue ride, I wanted to help families directly. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's when we got our 501c3 status. And then we turned Thin Blue Ride into ThinBlueRide.org, where we get our tax ID, and now we could directly give families um, money going through treatments.
0: Yeah, so that's now you can kind of turn around and focus directly on the cause.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, after get, so Thin Blue Ride has, we do the Pan Mass, we donate our money to Dana Farber for cancer research, and it actually goes to Dr. Chris, uh, Chris Weenie's cancer research directly for oh, cool. testicular cancer and he's you know he's dedicated him and his wife are doctors he travels the world going to seminars and learning what he can about testicular cancer and what works what doesn't work mm-hmm. so all the money we raise, we raise goes to that and you know after the pan mass that's what we have, and we get to disperse to families. So we've probably helped close to 10 families now, and we're continuing to help some more now um, on the West Coast.
0: That's got to feel good. Hold, hold on one second. We're going to talk, uh, I think, are you hearing it skip too and start to freeze? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'm just going to pause for a second. I'm going to, let's just stop the meeting and log back into it. I don't want, I don't want the actual story of the work that you're doing to be affected by pausing. So let's just, okay. let's just restart there. Ah, uh, yes. So. There he is. Sorry about that. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I, I, I don't want your whole interview, but then we start talking about the actual charity to be choppy or, or difficult. Yeah, um, <laughs> no worries. We're getting throttled or something. So, um, all right. You were talking about how you started to shift the focus from Dana Farber or, or the, the pan mass being the big thing that you did to focus yeah. on helping families.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we love the fact that we helped Dana Farber because they're, they're the institution that, you know, kind of saved my life. Yeah, and and lots <laughs> so, of lives, right? And yeah, exactly. We're in debt to them. But I also noticed what happened when I was sick is my friends held a benefit for me at Mechanics Hall. So I had high school friends. I remember the football team came. My you buddies, my friends. Came. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you really do. And uh, you know, they had a huge benefit. And being out of work. You know, brain surgeries, lung surgeries, chemo for five days—like those copays were, you know, up to like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Well, dude,
0: I mean, we're not talking about having like a a sprained ankle, (laughs) you know, sitting on the bench. We're talking about major
1: surgeries. It would be the cat, the CT scans, the MRIs, the blood work, the you know, the copays on that, and I still have good insurance, so. That's what kind of, you know, that helped me out with getting rid of whatever, pay, you know, ended up paying off credit cards and co-pays and stuff like that, which helped, obviously. Yeah. So my thing is, well, I like giving to the big organization, but at the same time, I'd, I'd rather help someone directly the yeah. way, you know, they help me directly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why in Blue Ride, that's why we, we don't really have a specific set like we don't have a set number on like hey you have cancer here is x amount of money right but it depends on um, sometimes people will let us know it's a it's a cop from another town and if we have some money then we'll be like all right here's a check for you know $2000 mm-hmm. and then we'll sell t-shirts with their name on it or something specific that way they can get it in their department and then we'll you know give them the proceeds to that mm-hmm. you know so the family ends up with Know ten thousand dollars, yeah, and they could, you know, go to Disney, pay their mortgage, do whatever the heck they want with it. But it's, it's just someone you're out of work. Yeah, it makes the burden better, or less. Yeah. yeah, it's cancer sucks. Yeah, so it's it's something it, that feels it, good
0: among you know something yeah. that sucks.
1: Someone can throw you a couple bucks, and you know people don't know how to help. And if you buy a shirt for twenty five bucks, and the family gets. A percentage of that yep. like I, I mean they get all of that besides um, none of us take a uh, take any money from the nonprofit as right. far as being full-time or not or part-time or whatever yeah you all work but, um, yeah we all work so this is all volunteer time and I'd like to see it you know long-term goals would I'd love to do it full-time and travel and tell my story which would you know help people either get Um, like I don't want to consider it motivational speaking. I've done a lot of speaking engagements, but that's just, that's me just telling my story. No, but
0: call it what it is because I mean, hearing, hearing that story could help someone say that was in a real bad place. Well, all right, I just got to stick it through. You know, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I could, not everybody has the, that mental uh, mindset to to see the finish line. You know what I mean. I think yeah. I think that can that can really be helpful to to talk to somebody who did it. It's not yeah. theoretical. It's not oh, just sit tight, man. I know what you're going through. And that person's thinking yeah. you don't know what I'm going through. You yeah. do. You do know what they're going through. You went through it. You probably went through yeah. uh, something that might even be worse. You know, and and you can say, look, I'm out here. I'm I just climbed Everest. You know, it, yeah. you can you can do this.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's always you know, I'll tell my story a thousand times if it's going to help somebody out. So that's why, you know, I, if I were to do it full time, it would be like, I'd have to get like, when I have any corporate sponsors, we have a lot of local businesses that are mm-hmm. kind of our backbone that, you know, donate, um, donate things to us. Like yeah. Fitz's bike shop has been there since the beginning and he just, he helps us out with, Who's you know, any equipment we need. Fritz's bicycle shop.
0: Okay, yeah, cut. I didn't hear, quite hear it. They've been helping you ever
1: since the for the. Yeah, Aaron's doing great down there. But um, you know, a lot of people are. It's for the nonprofit world. It's uh, it only goes as far as you want to push it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. whereas I could sit in my house all day do nothing, or sometimes I'll just write a random email to, like I wrote a ran into a guy with a streamlight jacket on mm-hmm. and I'm like, Hey, do you work for streamlight? He's like, yep. I'm like, Hey, I use your stuff at work. It's great. Uh, do you guys donate to nonprofits <laughs> <laughs> and Streamlight's been awesome? There's there's somewhat small company out of New York, but those guys sent me, you know, probably thousand dollars worth of lights that we donated in our golf tournament mm. or like I just did one the other day on Instagram where it was just you know, like, and repost. And, um, one of the guys wanted to work mm-hmm. and we did a gun raffle that raised a lot of money for our buddy Sully, who's going through some treatments right now. I remember seeing that you know, one, $22,000 for yeah. a gun raffle. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. Hell a gun. Yeah, it is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what I mean? If we, if we could put in a little bit of work to give that family some money, mm-hmm. like, you know that stuff's pretty easy. It's huge, and
0: but like you were saying, you have to ask, right? People aren't gonna yeah. come banging down your door, take my money. They have to know that you're there yeah. to do something with it. That, it, that it's even a possibility. Yeah. I think that's that's an important thing to talk about. I've talked to uh, I talked to a, another person who runs a different type of nonprofit last week too, and j- just talking people everywhere right now, especially in you know not cancer related but COVID related, people are wondering. How they can help? There's people making masks. There's people doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody has a sewing machine. Not everybody can do the yeah. the maybe little things they see that people are doing to help out. But there's other ways to help out. There's ways to help out with your time. There's ways to help out with your money. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. The the donations yeah. don't have to be huge. You know, little donations become big when lots of people get involved. So I think messages like yours and hers. They're important to get out there so people know they can still be helpful while they're quarantined in their house or, you know, yeah. getting outside of this quarantine. Just in general, you can be helpful to the greater causes, those bigger causes. And it doesn't, you don't have to change your whole life to be helpful. You just have to commit to be yeah. helpful, whatever level you can be. But that, I, I think that's important to say. It sounds like a no-brainer, but... It's important for people to hear. Oh, well, so so my five bucks really might have an impact. Yes, yeah, way more than the five bucks doesn't if you don't give it to anybody. You know, it's it's yeah.
1: it's important. And I've seen a lot too. Like I do a lot um, before. You know, PanMass has you do your own fundraising page. Same with like Tap Out Cancer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like I did the Tap Out Cancer event, and which was awesome. You know, I raised. I forget how much money, maybe, uh, maybe a thousand bucks or so. Mm -hmm. And it's a great event
0: though. It's popular. It's
1: it's for a good cause. And it was like people that you wouldn't expect. You share it on Facebook then all of a sudden you get a $50 donation from some kid you went to high school and you're like, Oh, that's awesome. Like I wouldn't expect that, but that's huge.
0: Yeah. And then you start to, you know, put the pieces together that you really have to get out there and ask because you know, holy shit! There's there's people I haven't talked to in 20 years that are willing to give 50 yeah. bucks and, and be helpful. But yeah, I they wouldn't have if I didn't make this post, if I didn't create this yeah. charity, if I wasn't doing this work, it wouldn't be happening. That that's yeah. that, that's it's got to feel pretty good too to start to put those pieces together and feel like you can make a difference.
1: Yeah, and I think with that being said too, with all the small businesses, I think Worcester, you know, got a lot of ties here, and with all the small businesses, the restaurants, the bars, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, the bars that are like, Hey, have an event at our place and we'll have, you know, we'll give free food and you guys could charge at the door for tickets or whatever, then have a raffle and we'll give you some stuff that we get from the liquor companies. And all that ends up working out where, you know, you put in a little bit of effort and then, you know, on a Tuesday night, the nonprofit makes like six grand at a bar, Yeah. all right, sweet. Now we could use that. We could, you know, make 500 shirts and we can end up, you know, making like 15 grand off of it. Yeah. Not only that though, but all the people that showed
0: up are going to tell their friends about it. They're going to, they're going to show up to the next one because they saw the impact or had fun, you know, at the get together. And I think that's the important thing too, is keeping it going and keeping people aware. That's probably the hardest part too though, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we definitely lost some steam. Like right now, we're getting ready for a golf tournament at the end of June, but we can't go around asking for, you know, a whole donate. Hey, you got 250 bucks for (laughs) a flag. like that may or may not happen. Yeah. So, I mean, we could have it. We wouldn't make money. And we like to have things that, that people like the quality t-shirts that we make are, they're not just a regular cotton shirt. They're a shirt that every year in the police department guys are like, Hey, you guys making those shirts again. Mm Mm-hmm or I'll go to the gym at the station and there'll be like three different years of shirts that we made. That's cool. I'm like, ah, sweet.
2: Yeah,
1: that is. (laughs) So, you know, guys like the stuff. So we like to have a good product last year for the gift for the golf tournament. Everybody got the, um, Arctic like tumblers,
2: Mm.
1: you know, like laser engraved with the thin blue ride flag on it. And like, yeah, it's like a, you know, a $30 tumbler. So we'd rather have something where people like, you know what, if we do a golf tournament every year, we want to do that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that little, that little knickknack is a, someone's going to keep that right. And it's memorabilia yeah. and it's a reminder. It's a reminder that they can be involved and they can continue to help. It's, it goes a long way.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we like, we like having that, you know, we just don't want to sell stuff to sell stuff. Like I get so many 5k shirts that I don't wear in my closet because they're just a, you know, a cheap shirt and you get it because it's like 5k and you're like, all right. And I'm like,
0: "And it's a, it's a hundred percent. It's that thick old school, like cotton. It's a box. It doesn't fit at all. It's a, yeah, I have, I have, I have have like not, not boxes but bins full of those like in my attic because for whatever reason I end up, I end up wanting to keep them because you know, I did the race or did the event or whatever, but I'm never, I'm never ever going to wear it. It's never, no one's going to wear it. It's just, yeah, I shouldn't even keep it, but I do. You know, I keep it just <laughs> as a reminder. But uh, yeah, I the ones, but I have a drawer with a bunch of shirts from things that I have done that I do wear that are because they're nice shirts. Yeah. It's it's that simple. Yeah. If it's a nice shirt, you'll wear it, and you know it's it's yeah. is a big difference. So, um, so
1: what's like we'd love, we would love to get a a bike race going, and now I've been doing a lot more mountain biking than road biking. Yeah, so you know I know numbers. I want to reach out to those guys. Cause I'd like to have, you know, either a endurance race or some kind of race because we're a cycling nonprofit. I'm like, yeah. we need to have a cycling, like the golf tournament's great. We make, you know, a good amount of money
2: mm-hmm.
1: on a Monday for the year that's going to support families and the pan and mass if we do it. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, we're cycling based. We need to do it. But the logistics behind it, you know, I've never done anything like that. So we're trying to figure out, what we want to do, where we want to do it. Like, I'd love to have it in Worcester because of all the businesses we could have something at, you know, whatever, whatever spot. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's nice to get out of Worcester mm-hmm. and get a little more real estate so you can have an event like Kids race raffles a lot of oh, yeah. music make it a day yeah.
0: have music have yeah. you know beers and hot dogs at the end i, I yeah. so we started talking about that that uh that fateful friday we, we were we got yeah. together um, i love the idea like i would, I would love because i i used to be a roadie too but i just i just don't ride on the road at all anymore i don't even, I don't yeah. even have a bike anymore i only have mountain bikes because i just yeah. you know if i'm gonna hit a tree it's my fault and then yeah. that's then so be it but i just the the cars were just once I was a dad, it was just too too freaky to to put my life in in everybody's hands, especially with the roads here in Mass. But I, I don't, I don't, know. I don't. Anyway, not going against roadies, I'm just not <laughs> one anymore. Um, but with NEMBA, I know the the dude who runs it recently stepped down. But I know some guys that I can connect you with if you want. They're out in this area, like in the Hopkinton yeah. and uh, uh, Framingham and uh, Worcester area that could definitely be helpful in in the meantime with setting up events. Good dudes, you know, and they're are some of the people who help organize the biggest the biggest rides and they're they're all just super nice people that are that love mountain biking and being involved. That I was just gonna ask you what's next. So the mountain biking, I think that would be yeah. awesome. Cause you could make your own event. So instead of you know getting a quota that you have to earn to give for someone else's race, which nothing wrong with that. I mean Pan Mass is yeah. awesome but you could have your own then focus on the the good that you want to do and what you can do with your organization. And I'll, I mean, I'm in sign me up. You get the race going. Yeah. I, I'm in. I think that sounds fun. I
1: feel like you get a lot more mountain bikers than you would road, like road bikers. You get people that road bike and you get people that don't,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know what I mean? Like there's no real in between. You get guys that are out there all the time. Yep. Like we did a ride a few years ago just for fun. We went from Worcester to Westerly, Rhode Island. I'm like, yeah, let's do a ride to the beach. Mm hmm. We had like ten people sign up and we wanted to keep it small to see how it was. But it's just hard logistically, like how are you gonna you know, is it gonna be a big loop? Are you gonna end up in the same place? Yeah. How are people gonna get back? Like there's so many factors. But um and I always like feel like I could <laughs> butt off more than I could chew. Like I'd rather have a big race that's awesome. Mm-hmm like the pan mass, I see that and I'm like, Oh yeah, let's do something like that. But I'm like, well, these guys have been doing it for over 30 years. Yeah. Like, and <laughs> there's some there logistics lot, behind that. Maybe like a 20 mile ride or whatever. But you know, there's a lot more guys that mountain bike. Like the other day, there was probably seven of us riding the other day in Millbury and Rayburn. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's just easier. You know, you don't have to worry about all the traffic stuff. No, nope. All the details. Don't have to stop
0: everything. any roads. Don't have to worry about yeah. any of that stuff. Just need a couple of ambulances.
1: I forget what race it was. It was down towards the cave down four ninety five last, last year. Me and my buddy signed up last minute and I called the director and I was like, Hey, I run a nonprofit. Can I bring my stuff? He's like, yep, come on down. He's like, come to any race you want. So, you know, guys are super open to have, have us there, which is great. It is. Now, you know, we need to start getting there. Like I, we just ended up buying a new trailer, which we definitely needed. We have a, we had a 1984, like, Comet trailer I bought from a buddy where the doors fly open and it's super small. Nice. Um, we invested some money in a nice aluminum trailer. It's like seven by sixteen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we get to you know put cabinets in it, so it's got a flip up concession side. So now we could pull up to an event, sell t-shirts out of the back. Yep. Or if we do a road ride, you know, it's kind of like a breakdown vehicle. Put mm-hmm. some bikes in it or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, I definitely have big goals for where I want to see, you know, I'd like to see an annual ride personally. I'd like to go across the U S on my road bike. Oh, no kidding. Within the
0: next couple of years. That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be, that, so, you need some time, you know, time for that one.
1: On that is crazy too, as far as do you want to be self-supported in, and as a nonprofit, you know, I'd like to be, you, you need to, you want to raise money off of it. Yeah. So, you know, what are you, you going to try and have events along the way? Right. Well, <laughs> like yeah, that. you could
0: have like state by state rides where people gather yeah. from just the, the state that they're in and they ride with you to the next line. That would be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, with mountain biking, though, you can also not to take away from that, but to add to what you were saying, mountain biking, you can do or at least it seems like you could potentially do different stuff like you don't ha- with mountain biking. It doesn't have to be a ride like a start and finish yeah. race. You could go to. Highland or Killington or you go go yeah. somewhere that's got some downhill and you could have an event where you've got a, you know, a day and you've got the either one, one lift and Dick and like one section of the mountain or whatever is just dedicated to your thin blue ride event. And I'm sure, yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak for any of those guys that run those event, those resorts, but Why not? You know, and then you got people that are just, instead of it being one place to the next, you spend eight or 10 hours going up and down the mountain with different people, meeting different people on the lift and and just having, so the social time goes the whole time and it's fun as hell. I'm sure you've done some downhill. It's, it's, it's awesome. And that way you solve a bike problem too, where people can rent them.
1: Yeah, that's true. too. don't
0: have them. I'm not saying to do it instead of a race. I'm just saying, do it again, do another event and do it, do it at a downhill
1: place. That'd be fun. Yeah. I've noticed too, like, you know, when I, I try and come up with different stuff. I, I try to come up with stuff that I like to do, but again, I like to do everything. So <laughs> I know the feeling. You know, There's been a few times I've tried to raise money for, you know, some of the other nonprofits and, you know, you're the only one at the gym or there's one other person that shows up and they're like, ah, you know, but that's part of it. Like yep. I was part of the, um, one of the staff on team red, white, and blue, which is a veteran organization where it's meant to get veterans out of the house, you know, mm-hmm. go rock climb and do a 5k, do whatever, but it's meant to, it, their titles, enriching the lives um, of Americans, veterans through physical and social interaction.
2: Mm.
1: So basically, you know, you're on active duty for two years and you come home and you're back here in Worcester and you're like, Oh, this sucks. Nobody's telling me to go on a run and right. You know, mentally you're not prepared for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you see, you know, Team RWB, like, hey, we do a, you know, a 5K down at Lake Park every Tuesday or whatever. So it's meant to get guys out of the house. But they were like, there's going to be times when you show up and you're the only one there. Yeah. And that's right. You know, just don't don't stop going because that one guy like, that shows up. Do it anyway. Up, yeah. Yeah. That one guy that shows up could be the guy that really needed that day to get out and meet somebody. Definitely. So or, yeah,
0: exactly. The one guy that shows up, he might need that more than you know, a group of 10 people showing up, that's, that's huge. And then it's just, there's so much that you could do that is fun, but like you said, you kind of have to, you kind of have to dial it in and have a purpose, right? Because yeah. <laughs> if, if, you, if you try to spread it too wide, I'm the same as you, I, I have so many hobbies and things I love to do, and I'm not a master of any of them, but I, but yeah. I like them all, you know, how do you, you got to pick, if you're going to run some successful events, you really got to focus in yeah. on it and, and get it done.
1: I mean, and the thing is that we did a 5k, uh, we've had, you know, the first, we did it two years in a row and it was right around 120 runners and it was a lot of work, but at the, you know, cause you have to pay the companies to come in and, um, it's just finding that we, you know, we, we should focus on cycling based because we're a cycling based on profit. Right. And I'd, I'd like to have that one race where guys, because we get that law enforcement end where mm-hmm. a lot of, of cops do the golf tournament, but they're not cyclists. Mm-hmm. So we have that demographic of, you know, we get guys that buy our shirts because they got the Thin Blue Line flag on it. Yep. And then we got the Thin Blue Ride logo with like the bike cog. And, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to reach out to non-cops who are cyclists. So mm-hmm. it's tough to, to get that middle ground of like, right. Like our audience basically of how we're going to get to them and make it successful.
0: It does also give you uh, an ability to focus too though. Right. So instead of trying to talk to uh, people in jujitsu and diving and climbing, and at least you can focus on talking to people who pedal. Right. So, so whether or not they're, they're cops or whatever their background is, but you got that one thing in common, pedaling, and you can kind of focus yeah. your message. At least it gives you that gives you that common ground, that fo- that thing to to yeah. focus on. And if you can get it to be where it's roadies and mountain bikers, then you've got a, a you're, yeah. you're, the world gets a whole lot bigger.
1: Yeah, I feel like the mountain bike world is, you know, a lot more guys ride especially over the past couple of years. I've met a lot of guys that just do a lot more on the trails than they do on the road, or they, you know, like what you did, park the road bike and. Get on the mountain
0: bike. Yep i uh, I've found the same. I've also found it's a very different crowd. Where it's not it's not just the same people. Where when I was a road rider, it's it's not a super social thing. I mean, it there yeah. are you do make you can make friends and there's groups. And I'm I'm not at all saying roadies aren't friendly, but it's 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 not a social sport really. It's a sport you do alone, maybe with two other people. And yeah. mountain biking is social. Even if you're alone, you're gonna end up running across another one. You're going to talk to them. You're probably going to have a beer. I mean, it's, it's a yeah. very, very mountain biking's very social oh, we
1: run into that in Rayburn. There'll be, you know, four or five of us and then we'll bump into a guy and he'll be like, Hey, you mind if I, you know, jump in with you guys? Yep. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like you're talking, you're out of breath. And usually I put on my heart rate model to see how high I could get it. I'm <laughs> dogging it in the back. But, uh, <laughs> I know
0: that feeling too. And I mean, a lot of the people fun, I yeah. ride with, I didn't know before I was mountain biking. I met them by yeah. mountain biking. Cause they're just, and they're friends. You know, they just, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of friendly people I think that are out mountain biking. It's just a, it's a, I don't, competitive not the right word, but it's just a looser scene than road
1: riding. Yeah. Well, again too, like usually you have to bring your bike somewhere. Whereas like road bikes, guys will walk out their door, ride yeah. to, you know, do their loop and come home. Was, you know, you go to Rayburn or you go to Sutton or you go to Vietnam or whatever. Yep. And then you get the parking lot of the guys just, you know, just shooting the shit, getting yep. the bikes ready. And sometimes some of the guys know the same people or whatever. Yep, like we, Yeah. We went up to uh, Thailand and then we... Ran into the same kid at Rayburn. Yeah. Like, yep. A couple months later. <laughs> yep. And you
0: see, you, you get there to go for a ride, you meet with your buddies, you see three other guys who just came out of the woods and they're drinking a beer behind their car and, you know, they'll tell you how the trails were or where to watch out for. It's just, it's a, yeah. I don't know. I, I really like the scene. I've, I've, I enjoy it. So do you, I mean, we're over an hour already, uh, getting near an hour and 20. So I want to be respectful of your time, uh, even, though, yeah, no worries. even though, even though we're all in lockdown, <laughs> we're not going yeah. anywhere. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I'm not in any rush, but do you have anything else? We've touched on most of the stuff that I, I wanted to talk about with you. Anything else? You, I miss jujitsu. jitsu Do you?
1: Yeah. I know. <laughs> I just started going back. I'm like, now I can't wait to go back just because I can't go. I'm like, yeah, we need to. I'm looking on Facebook for mats and stuff, but yep. they're selling really quick.
0: It's killing um, me. And and Seneca's doing um, Zoom classes like this for the kids. And my kids oh, both okay. go. Yeah. So, so, uh three days a week I have to sit there and let my kids choke me on the living room floor and yeah. they, they're doing class and I can't choke anybody and I can't roll with anybody and it's driving me out of my mind. Yeah, that's great. But soon, right soon. We'll, we'll all be back yeah. to it. We'll all be back to it. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Where do people find the Thin Blue ride? How do people help?
1: So we have Thinblue which is our site. We're working on making the site a little more up to date. I can help with that. All right, That's perfect. what we do. To
0: reach <laughs> out. Yeah, I can help with that.
1: Awesome. Um, so we have ThimbleRide.org The emails go to my phone um, I run the Facebook the ThimbleRide Facebook mm-hmm. and Ride on Instagram and usually um, you know message people like I found out a kid was sick in California. He's a cop and a marine vet. He's got brain cancers so mm. I sent out a bunch of Tim blue line hats and uh, we're going to give the money to the family. Mm-hmm. And we also have a donation that I put on my Facebook for him. And, you know, people in mass, we're to get over $500 donated to a kid that they don't know who's on the West coast. That's awesome. He's got three daughters, he's married. So <clears throat> yeah, we're trying to help him out. And it's just, it's nice that we could just, you know, hit post on Facebook and get, Couple hundred bucks, That's a thousand great.
2: bucks,
1: on top of what we're going to donate um, from the nonprofit to him, and you know, one of the guys that we're working with out there, he's like, "It's so weird that you know, like, thank you so much for trying to help." And I'm like, "No, I'm like, dude, we're just, <laughs> I've been through it, so it's easy enough to a couple people want to throw a few bucks in, and yeah selling hats, they're getting a product for their money. The money's going to a good place, like." It's you know it's not that hard yeah and, you know they're they're super grateful but you know people helped me when I was down so might as well keep it going yeah why not
0: I mean that and then why
1: not do why not do something that's
0: a universal good right it it only does yeah. good it helps you you feel good doing it you feel like you're giving back someone's getting help yeah. someone else gets to make hats and T-shirts and they have a job I mean it, it nobody yeah. gets nobody doesn't win through the deal you know why yeah. why not pursue it it sounds great to me plus you get to go to oh, golf see, tournaments and rides.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, I remember just seeing people that I don't know wearing our t-shirts and I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> and, you know, usually I'll either introduce myself or, or, you know, they don't know me, but they know someone, you know, the families of the cop or someone, or yeah. they bought it at an event. Um, like, you know, we were selling t-shirts in DC for police week. Um, you know, we just want to get, we want to get our name out there as much as we can. Mm-hmm. That way people could be like, Oh, so-and-so, you know, someone's sick. Um, they might need someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Or someone's sick, like we need some help type thing. Mm-hmm. And we could, ease, you know, help out as much as we can. There was a trooper that we helped out. They, um, he actually went to Boston. They gave him about a month to live. Ooh. And I didn't speak with him directly. I spoke with other troopers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we made T-shirts with his name on them we ended up raising about $14,000 for the family and you know, gave that to the family. And he ended up passing right about that, about that timeline. And, um, you know, we're just like, if we sell some t-shirts or make t-shirts and you guys sell them to the family Mm -hmm. and it's got his name on it, it's got our logo. So people are like, Oh, these guys help people out, you know, just to spread the word, let everyone know. Well, plus, you
0: know, down the road, his family has those those shirts, those the hats, or I mean, they have the money. That was obviously a big help in the in the short term, but they've got those yeah. they've got those they've got the proof of a community coming together to be helpful in the worst time. And yeah. I think that's that's really meaningful. You know, they've got that shirt that that what that shirt doesn't mean fourteen thousand to them. It means strangers helping. It means you know people yeah. doing good. And that I think that that positivity. I, I don't want to sound corny, but that stuff goes places that's that's infectious it's you know when someone does good for you you want to do good for somebody else and and so on and so forth and it's it's good it's like smiling at people or scowling at people you're gonna have a better day if you just smile at people you know don't don't go through the day like an asshole
1: (laughs) yeah i agree
0: uh all right you have have anything else you want to talk about or you want to call it there i'm i'm i was psyched to have this this conversation (laughs) i've been looking forward to it since we had that coffee nice next time we'll do Um, it over beer
1: yeah, definitely. In All person, right.
0: in person, where we can We're actually
1: still, talk. Yeah, we've still been riding a lot during the week on the mountain bikes.
0: Yeah, I haven't been out. The, I've been out hiking. I haven't been out on the mountain bike during this, except yeah. except just in my my neighbor's got a big backyard, so I took the kids over there and we we ride bikes in the in the backyard. My two my nice. two boys, um, they're I got they're they're eight and ten. So the ten year old's pretty pretty damn good now. He's got a fat tire bike and he yeah. loves it. The eight year old. Um, he just turned eight last end of last summer. So we did kingdom trails for the first time last year, a uh, family trip. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. The 10 year old, he was nine at the time, of course, riding black diamonds on his fat tire. You know, it was, it was so cool to watch. Cause it's like, it's like, you know, a year before that he could ride a bike like a kid and he, you know, he was perfectly yeah. good at riding his bike around a park or, uh, on a rail trail but here he was a year later and he's he legit rode a couple black diamonds at kingdom trails and was you know out of his mind excited and happy it was so so cool to watch so are you you coming across a lot of people on the trails
1: um there's still a lot of people a lot of people hiking but uh like we did something the other day i'm not sure what stretch we did but it was super gnarly it was so much fun yeah like you know super steep sections rocks jagged but we you know Drop the post and send it. Yeah, (laughs) yep, (laughs)
0: yep. blast. Are people keeping distance from each other when they're out there? Is it how how are they treating the whole? We're
1: we're on the bike trail, so I haven't really seen too many people like walking. Like I'll see people parked, and then they'll walk in or ride the bikes in. I haven't seen too many people in Sutton. There's still a lot of people riding, like Rayburn, but um, usually like different times. There's a few guys that we've seen in the woods either running or biking but that's about it. Yeah, I've I've but, noticed. Yeah, I feel like people. Are, I don't know. They're they're keeping a distance, but we haven't really. Nobody's coming up to us and then be like, oh, you know, let me back off ten feet. But uh, no kidding, because I do see that that when
0: we go out hiking, we see we'll, You know, if you come across people on the trail, people will step off. Yeah. The, step off the trail like ten feet and wait for yeah. the other to pass. And
1: uh, well, actually, I noticed that uh, me and my girlfriend went the rail trail with her kids and then people are, you know, walking with the masks on and it's funny because it's like some people don't want to make eye contact. Some yeah. People
0: are, yeah. It's weird. Like if I don't acknowledge you, I can't get your germs. <laughs>
1: Black plague. <laughs> it it is up. weird.
0: Cause some yeah. people will look at you and, and say, hello, like, how are you? They'll wave <laughs> and they'll smile and they'll, it almost feels like they're on purpose making the connection, which yeah. is nice. But some people, yeah, it's like they just ghost you. They're, not, they're just not going to look right yeah. at you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's weird out there. It is. Definitely. All right. I'm going to hit the button on this one, man. Thanks a lot. This was, this was a ton of fun. I'm glad we got the chance to talk, hang tight for a second.